Last week we talked about the Holy Spirit coming upon believers. Change the whole world. Never again will the world be the same. The Holy Spirit comes upon 120 believers gathered together in Jerusalem. It was called Pentecost. Peter stood up that day filled with the Holy Spirit and began to preach. First thing he did was he quoted the prophet Joel and he announced the countdown of the last days. If you want to read over that, have at it. But I know what he said. He quotes the prophet Joel and announces the countdown of the last days. He announces what we now know as the church age. We only touched the surface of Peter's first sermon last week. Today, I want to get into the details. We're going to review the very first sermon preached in the church age. How exciting. What would be the first sermon delivered by the Holy Spirit in the church age? What an exciting thing to look into. What did God want to say to man? Remember the context. It's 50 days after the cross and Jesus has departed this earth. He has ascended to the right hand of the Father. Jesus told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait. Don't try to do anything on your own. You'll just mess it up. Stay in Jerusalem and wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to guide you and to give you the power to complete your mission. What mission? You're going to tell the world about the resurrection of the dead. You're going to tell the world about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But stay in Jerusalem. The Spirit comes on Pentecost, and here's what happens. Common people become preachers. That's what's happening. Common people. What's Peter? He's a fisherman by trade. Common people are going to become preachers. Common people begin speaking in foreign languages. Common people are going to do what common people can't do. Because the Holy Spirit's come. Common people are going to be used by God and the power of God. And He's going to change the world. And we're sitting in this room today as living proof that it is unstoppable. That's 2,000 years ago. And we're all here because of what they did. Because of what they said. Because of what they wrote down. Because of what they testified. Peter tells the Jews that these believers aren't drunk. But they're running over with something. It's not alcohol. It's not wine. He, tell, he tells the Jewish people who are gathering around this scene, they're not drunk, but they're running over with the Spirit. And Peter quotes the Old Testament prophet Joel about the last days, and then he says this. I want to examine Peter's first sermon because it's the same exact message as today. Nothing's changed. We're preaching the same thing that Peter preached. If I ever preach something other than what they preached, it's not the gospel. The message hasn't changed. Acts 2, verse 22. Here's what he said. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, 
wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and you killed him. Now, if you're a visitor with us today, I want to give you a heads up. On the back of the bulletin, every scripture I plan to use today is recorded. You read those scriptures. You test the word. Also, there's blanks on there, and they'll be colored in yellow on the screen behind me. Peter is talking to the Jews, a people who believe in God, okay? Let's just say they're gathered for Pentecost from all over the world. They are Jews. They believe in God the Father. But in in essence, at this point, they have rejected Jesus as the Son of God. Peter tells them that the miracles, signs, and wonders performed by Jesus were a sign from God and God's endorsement proving that he is my son. Peter tells them that this was all a prearranged plan. The betrayal was prearranged. The cross was prearranged. Everything was part of God's divine plan before the foundations of the earth to save your life. That's what he's telling them. And then Peter reveals the power of the resurrection. And he ties the power of the resurrection. Here's the two things that marveled me when I really started studying the book of Acts. Peter preaches the power of the resurrection. And then he connects this powerful resurrection to a prophecy of King David. Now, how did he begin his sermon? He began his sermon on this Pentecost by going to the Old Testament prophet Joel and announcing the last days and the events of the last days. And now he's only in the like second paragraph. And what's he do? He's going to announce the resurrection and he's going to connect it to a thousand-year-old Psalm of King David. I can hear Jesus saying, heaven and earth are going to pass away, but my words will never pass away. Stick to the word. Let's go to verse 24. Here's what he does. Now, by the way, before I read it, the Jews revered King David. So if you use King David's name, they're going to listen because they revered him. Verse 24, Peter continues to preach. But God released him from the horrors of death, referring to Jesus. God released, you killed him, but God released him from the horrors of death, and he raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David, now by the way, King David is a thousand years before this event. King David said this about him, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. You have shown me, what? The way of life. And I will find joy in your presence Remember, Peter's talking to Jewish religious folks from all over the world. Jewish people that know the Old Testament. Jewish people that know who King David is. And they revere King David. Peter will use the scriptures to explain the Messiah. It always works. 
He will use the Scriptures, the Old Testament, to explain the reality of the New Testament. It always works. Peter is quoting a thousand-year-old psalm of David. I want to read it to you. On the day of Pentecost, Peter quotes a thousand-year-old psalm of King David. So let's roll back to a thousand years before, and it is Psalms 16, verses 8 through 11. I know the Lord is always with me, David wrote. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead. For you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to see decay or rot in the grave, NLT says. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasure of living with you forever. Peter is going to explain that David was not only writing about himself, but he was writing about the coming of the Jewish Messiah. He is including himself to some degree, but he is not prophesying about himself in this text. How do you know that? Because David would die, and David was buried, and David's body is still buried, and David's body rotted in the grave. But his prophecy is about a holy one whose body will not rot in the grave. You will not abandon him to the grave. How does David know this? And why is Peter bringing it up a thousand years later at the birth of the church? Why does the Holy Spirit want this word out on this day? The resurrection. The resurrection. You see, David's body was buried and put in the ground, but Jesus' body is not there. It's not buried. You can look anywhere you want to on the earth. His body is not there. It is risen. David's prophecy was about Jesus. I want to focus on two verses from David's psalm. Verses 10 and 11. Here we go. For you will not leave my soul among the dead. Now let's start there. David is talking about himself in this case. You will not leave. I know one day, Lord, I'm going to die. David says one day, they're going to, I'm going to die. I'm going to stop breathing. They're going to put me in a tomb. But you will not leave my soul among the dead. David knew. He knew that when the soul of man departs, when the, when the breath of life departs the human body, the soul of man will depart that body. You will not leave me among the dead. If you know anything about Jesus' story about the rich man and Lazarus, you know what happens. An angel comes and he takes you to Abraham's side. David knows it. And David says it, he knows it. But notice again, verse 10, you will not leave my soul among the dead, or, now he's changing to a different person, or allow your Holy One, he's not talking about himself, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. He's prophesying about the Messiah's death a thousand years in the future. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and pleasures of living with you forever. David's reference to the Holy One was not a reference to himself. He is referring to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. King David's hope was in the one that would not rot in the grave. And I find that interesting. I want to pause. 
His hope was in somebody who would not rot in the grave. Now go ahead and think of somebody who will fill that category in your mind. There's only one. His hope was in one who would rise from the grave without any decaying flesh. His hope is because there is a resurrection, you will not leave my soul in the grave. King David is linking eternal life, living with you forever, to the resurrection of the Messiah a thousand years before the Messiah dies. The resurrection of Jesus. Let me say it clearly today. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit puts at the beginning the resurrection of Christ. The big event. It is the foundation of Peter's first sermon. David said, my body rests in hope. Why? Why would anybody's body rest in hope? What is the hope of a grave? What is the hope of your lifeless, breathless corpse being put in the ground? The resurrection. The resurrection changes everything. Whose resurrection? It begins with one. One. It's not David. It's Jesus. Then Peter gives them even more detail connecting Jesus to King David. Let's keep going. Acts Chapter 2, verse 29. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the, that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself. For he died, and he was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants... Are, are you hearing me? How many of you have read the story of Pentecost and you never noticed that what? David is prophesying not just the resurrection. Not just the resurrection. Is that the foundation? That's the foundation. But it stands beside another announcement. Verse 30. But he was a prophet. David was a prophet. And he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. This is awesome, and I want to tell you, I am excited to share with you what the Holy Spirit has shared with me. Some of you struggle with the idea that Jesus will return and sit on David's throne in Jerusalem on this present earth. I know it. I know it. I see your faces. I talk to people. Some of you are struggling with the idea, physical idea, that one day on our calendar in the future, Jesus is going to come back to this present earth. He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives, walk through the Kidron Valley, go through the Eastern Gate, and sit on David's throne in Jerusalem. Some of you in the room are struggling with that, believing that, accepting the reality of that event in your life. It is the first message to the church on the day of Pentecost. If you're struggling with this, you need to get over it. You need to get over this announcement. He announces the resurrection, and he announces one of David's own descendants will sit 
on the throne. Did you hear Peter's first sermon? Are you listening? When Peter preached that sermon, there had not been a king on David's throne for over 500 years. Are you listening? Why is Peter bringing this up as his first announcement on the day of Pentecost? When he announces this prophecy of David, there had not been a king on David's throne for over 500 years. Now for us today, that's 2,500 years. There has not been a king on David's throne. But there's going to be. What is Peter announcing? Verse 30. Let me repeat it. But he, David, was a prophet. And he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants. God had promised with an oath. (laughs) Do you think this is not going to happen? If you're in the room today and you're struggling, do you think this is not going to happen? God promised with an oath. What? What's his promise? That one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. Peter's announcing that on Pentecost. I know world history. Do you know world history? It hasn't happened yet. That means it's still coming, right? David was from the tribe of Judah. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. Joseph was from the lineage of King David. Do you remember what the angel Gabriel told Mary? A thousand years before, a thousand, excuse me, a thousand years after King David. Do, do you remember what the angel told Mary? So some of you in the room, if you're struggling with the reality of what's coming, you're struggling with the very word of God, the announcement of God. He took an oath. God gave an oath that there's going to be one from David's seed sitting on the throne of David. And it's not a throne in heaven. David's throne is not in heaven. David's throne is in Jerusalem. What did he tell Mary? What did Gabriel tell Mary? Luke 1.32 He will be very great and he'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him, what? The throne of his ancestor David. And what's going to happen when he gets the throne? He will reign over Israel. How long? Forever. His kingdom will never end. Do you remember the encounter between King Herod and the wise men who came from the east? I'm telling you this because I know for a fact that some of you in the room are struggling with this fundamental announcement that begins the church age. I can tell you how the thing ends. When King Herod, the wise men come from the east and they're carrying gifts for this newborn king of the Jews. King of the Jews. Matthew 2, 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah for a ruler. What? A ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Now I want to tell you, stop it for a minute and tell me of all the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, gospel message, was Jesus ever king who sat on David's throne in Jerusalem and ruled over Judea and Israel? Not yet. But God took an oath. Stay with me. God took an oath. 
a ruler, a king. Now I'm going to tell you, he's going to rule with a rod of iron from David's throne in Jerusalem. The prophecy is he will rule with a rod of iron. Absolute authority from David's throne in Jerusalem. King David is a prophetic shadow of King Jesus. Listen carefully. If you miss this next part, you're going to miss the rest. King David is a prophetic shadow of King Jesus. He is not Jesus. He is a shadow of Jesus. He is a revealer of that which is to come. King David was anointed as king by the prophet Samuel at a very early age. How many of you have ever read the story of King David? Samuel, the prophet, the man of God, comes to Jesse's house, and he goes through all the boys, and none of the boys are the right one, and there's this kid out tending sheep. So they go get the kid and bring him in, and it's David, and Samuel gets the word from God that he's the one, he's the king, and he anoints him. But David doesn't, become, doesn't go and become king right then, does he? So why is he anointed, anointed so far in advance? Do you know that it is about 20 years? Listen to me. It's about 20 years before he will assume total authority over all of Israel. So why is he anointed so early? He is a king in waiting. He is a prophetic image of the coming Messiah. He will be anointed, but it will be quite a bit of time before he will reign in power and authority. Oh, he will reign in power and authority, but not at the time of his anointing. There will be a time gap between the two. David will become a king in waiting. Jesus was anointed as king now, I'm going to tell you, we're not waiting for Jesus' anointing. Jesus already, today, all power, all dominion, all authority has been given to him by the Father. When he was obedient even unto the cross, all power, all dominion, his kingship is secure now and forever. But he has not yet begun to reign on David's throne. It's coming. Our king is still in waiting. In fact, when Jesus comes and his disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. John the Baptist teaches his guys how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And what does Jesus say? May your kingdom come. Why is he telling us to pray for his coming kingdom when he's already here? Because he is a king in waiting. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on Mars as it is in heaven. Now, it doesn't say Mars, does it? On earth as it is in heaven. The church has been praying for this king and his kingdom to come to this earth for 2,000 years. I haven't been praying for it for 2,000 years, but I've been praying for it for a long time. In 2 Thessalonians, they were praying for it. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, when he comes on that day, when Jesus comes on that day, what's going to happen? He will receive glory from his holy people, praise from all who believe. 
And this includes you, for you believed what, he, what we told you about him. What is this glory that he's going to get when he comes? He's going to come as a king. No longer a king in waiting. The Hebrew writer confirms the coming kingdom of Christ, but not yet. He is a king in waiting. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. You gave them, and this is a, this is a reference to the church, in the last days, began on Pentecost, you gave them, you gave the church authority over all things. Now when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. Why? Because our king's not here. Not yet. The book of Revelations reveals the birth of Christ and his ascension to the Father. The book of Revelation reveals the king in waiting. Revelation 12, 5. She gave birth to a son. A son who will rule all nations. L listen to me. She gave birth to a son. It's a picture of Israel in Revelation. She gave birth to a son who is going to rule all the nations. That's the whole world. How? With an iron rod. Absolute authority. He will be king. It's not happened yet. Israel gave birth to a son, but that king is in waiting. He will rule the nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God on his throne. He was snatched away. The incarnation, the birth of the son, and the ascension snatched away. He was born and anointed as the king at an early age. But he is a king in waiting until his return. Revelation 19 reveals the day when King Jesus will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem and begin to reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords on David's throne. And if you're in the room today, and I'm telling you, if you're still struggling with this, you are struggling with the foundation, fundamental of Christianity itself. The resurrection of the dead has given us hope because there is a king in waiting. Let me read it to you. This is what's going to happen. God gave an oath. Revelation 19, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. He's Jesus. For he judges fairly, and he wages a righteous war. He's coming to make war. You see, the reason why some people are still struggling with it is you cannot see Jesus in this role. Many people can't see him in this role. You can't imagine him in this role. You see him meek, mild Jesus as he was during the three years of his ministry. There's a white horse. Its rider is named Faithful and True, and he judges fairly, and he, he, he wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. The name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title is the Word of God. The armies of heaven. He's a king. The army follows its king. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, they follow him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp Sword. What's he going to do with this sharp sword as he approaches with the armies of heaven behind him? What's he going to do? Many people still cannot see him in this role. 
From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title. You can't make this up. King of kings. Lord of lords. This was the announcement on the day of Pentecost. It's the announcement of Peter, the very first sermon, the resurrection and the kingdom of Christ. Revelation 12 and Revelation 19 are going to be fulfilled. Are you ready for their fulfillment? Peter is revealing the coming kingdom of Christ. And these Jews, in that first sermon on Pentecost, he is announcing the coming kingdom of Christ. I wonder how many people actually believe this stuff. In that scene that day in Jerusalem, how many people actually believe this? In this room today, how many people? I really wonder. I don't know. How many of you actually believe this stuff? Why is this the content of the first sermon preached in the church age? The resurrection. He will not leave my soul in the grave with the dead. And then he brings up the king in the same sentence. Why is it the first sermon? Should it not be the content of sermons today? If it is the content of the very first sermon that the Holy Spirit delivers to mankind on Pentecost, should it not be the content of sermons today? Then why do very few preachers talk about it? The resurrection of Jesus from the grave proves God's prophetic plan of mankind. Jesus, in a physical bodily resurrection, is going to reign on David's throne in Jerusalem. And yet, listen, foundation, fundamental of our faith... Jesus, resurrected in a body, Jesus, is going to reign in Jerusalem on David's throne. You know, it's not complicated. It says it not once, twice, multiple times, from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. And yet, there are people in this room right now who claim to follow Christ, and you deny the foundation of this announcement. You deny the reality of the events that are coming. Why? And you know who will be with him when it happens? When he comes as king. You know who will be with him when it happens? This is the whole point of the resurrection. This is the reason he came to the earth. So that King David and all who call upon his name as Messiah will be with him when he begins to reign. Why do you think there's a resurrection? So that we would have a vacation in Jamaica? Why do you think there's a resurrection? Who's with him when he comes to reign on the earth? Who are they? Who's he reigning over? Who are they? Revelation 19, verse 14. This is what happens when he returns as king. The armies of heaven, dressed in finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. Who are they? Who are these people? I can hear David say, you will not leave my soul among the dead. If his soul's not among the dead, where did his soul go? 
And where will his soul be when Jesus mounts the white horse to come back to sit on David's throne? 1 Thessalonians 4.14. This is what happens when he comes. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns. Do you? Do you? I'm going to ask you. Because we believe that Jesus died and he rose from the dead, then fundamentally I also believe that when he returns, God will bring back with him, God will bring back with him the believers who have died, right? You believe this, right? Very few people in the church really grasp it. The soul of King David, the souls of our departed believing, only believers. If you're not a believer, all bets are off. The soul, when we believe, because Jesus rose from the dead, because he rose from the dead, we believe that when he returns, he's going to bring back with him all the believers who have died. He's not going to leave your soul in the grave. Your soul went to be with him. But when he comes, when your soul goes to be with him, I'll give you a hint. Wherever he goes, you're going. And if he comes back here, you're coming back here with him. He's not going to leave you somewhere else. You're going to be with him forever. So if he comes to reign on David's throne in Jerusalem, guess what? You're going too. You want to stay in heaven after he leaves? I don't. Heaven is wherever he's at, not where he used to be. Where do you think King David is today? His soul is with the Lord in heaven, but his body is in the earth. Do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? It's the message of Pentecost. Are you sure? Ezekiel prophesies that resurrected King David is coming back to reign under Christ in Jerusalem. I'm going to say it again. I always love it when I, when, when, I, when, I, when I tell you what I'm about to tell you, I like to watch people's eyes. The book of Ezekiel prophesies that when Jesus comes back to sit on David's throne in Jerusalem, David's coming back to reign under Christ. David, yeah, that guy, King David, is coming back and he's going to have a job under Jesus Messiah in Jerusalem. I'm going to read it to you. Ezekiel 37, my servant David will be their king. And I got to tell you, well, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll try to wait. My servant David will be their king. But they'll only have one shepherd. And I'll give you a hint, he ain't David. My servant David will be their king, but they'll only have one shepherd. They will obey my regulations and they'll be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave my servant Jacob, the land where their ancestors lived. They and their children and their grandchildren after them will live there. How long will they live there? Forever. Whoa, this is getting interesting. Generation after generation. And my servant David will be their prince. How long? Forever. And my servant David's going to be their prince. If he's the prince, I wonder who the king will be. Who will be the shepherd? in that word forever, in Jerusalem. Verse 26, And I will make a covenant of peace with them, an everlasting covenant. And I will give them their land and increase their numbers, and I will put my temple, oh, now it's getting interesting, 
and I'm going to put my temple among them, how long? Forever. And I will make my home among them. And I will be their God. And they will be my people. And when my temple is among them forever, the nations. He's on earth. And when my temple is among them forever, the nations will know that I am the Lord who makes Israel holy. The prophet Ezekiel lived 500 years after the death of King David. Ezekiel is writing this 500 years after David's gone. How does he know? Do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? Are you sure? Well, I was believing it until you told me that there's actually somebody who's going to raise from the dead and be here. Well, then you really didn't believe in the resurrection, did you? The resurrection of Jesus was on the beginning. The first fruits of many who will follow. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest. Listen to me, church. His resurrection is the core of our faith. But he is only the beginning. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. What is the harvest? A bunch of resurrections. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. How are you going to get this new life? It's called the resurrection. But there is an order to the resurrection. Christ was raised. Who goes first? There's an order to the resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. And then, secondly, all who belong to Christ will be raised when? When are we going to be raised? When He comes back. Now, that's not the resurrection of your soul. That's the resurrection of your physical body. David's physical body. My grandparents' physical body. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when He comes back. And after that, what's going to happen? I want to know what happens after that. And then the end will come. But not until there's a resurrection. What happens at the end when He will turn the kingdom over to God the Father? Having destroyed every ruler? Having destroyed every authority? All those who've mocked him, all those who wouldn't believe him, he will destroy them. Can you not see him in this role? After destroying every ruler, every authority, for Christ must reign. Until he humbles all the enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is what? Say it out loud. Death. Gone. Peter is preaching the gospel. On the day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching the gospel, the good news. And let me ask you, is this good news? What I'm telling you today, is this good news? I'm not writing any of it. I'm just telling you the story that's already been written. Is this good news? 
the resurrection of the dead, and the coming king and kingdom. There's a king in waiting, but one day he's not going to be waiting. Is this good news? Or does it make you think, whoa. Jesus was raised from the dead, the first of a great harvest. And he's going to raise people from the dead and he's going to give them new bodies to put their souls in. Somebody say hallelujah. You're going to get a new body to put your soul in. It's still going to be you. It's going to be you. You are a soul. You're not a body. He's going to give you a brand new body to put your existing soul in. And he will be king. The gospel reveals life and the resurrection. But resurrected into who? What? When? Where? Resurrected dead. Where? Resurrected dead. What? What's it mean? Peter is explaining all this to the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Will they believe him? <laughs> Will they believe him? Do you believe it? Back to the book of Acts. Acts 2, verse 32. Let's go back to the story. God, Peter continues, verse 32. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. They're not drunk. It's the Holy Spirit. For David himself never ascended into heaven. He's quoting David again. Peter's quoting David again. David himself never ascended into heaven. Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter again uses the Old Testament to preach the gospel. It works. He quotes David again. This time he quotes the 110th Psalm. Before I read it, let me say with Peter, David is not prophesying about himself. He is prophesying about the coming Messiah. So let's go back and read that 110th Psalm that David just quoted, that Peter just preached. Psalms 110 verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Can you see Jesus in this row? Putting enemies under his feet? Putting enemies under his feet? Sword coming out, striking down the nations, ruling with an iron rod? Oh, that's the wrong Jesus, right? Verse 2, the Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. And you will rule. See, David talking about himself? No, the Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem and you will rule over your enemies. When you go to war, your people will serve you willingly. You are arrayed in holy garments and your strength will be renewed each day like the morning dew. The Lord has taken an oath and will not, will not break His vow. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord stands at your right hand to protect you. He will strike down many kings when His anger erupts. He will punish the nations and fill their lands with corpses. 
He will shatter heads over the whole earth, but he himself will be refreshed from brooks along the way. He will be victorious. Can you, David's not talking about David. Who's David talking about? The first gospel message in the church age revealed a king is coming to Jerusalem. He's coming to reign, and he will defeat his enemies. He is coming to make war. The enemies of God will become a footstool under the feet of Jesus. The last enemy to be defeated is death itself. And when death is finally be defeated, guess what? Life is all that will remain. Only life. Do you believe this stuff? Did they? Did Peter offer an invitation at the end of his sermon? I just wonder. You know what? He's preaching the first sermon. Did he offer an invitation? What happened when he told them all of this in that first church service on Pentecost? I asked you last Sunday a, a theological deep question. Will the coming of the Holy Spirit by itself, by himself, just the appearance of the Holy Spirit, convert these people to Christ? The answer is no. The Holy Spirit would come with the Word. And when the Holy Spirit and the Word join together, then people will come to Christ. So will they? Will they? He's just preached the sermon. You've just heard the sermon. Let's look at Acts 2.37. What happened? At invitation time. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? There you go. That's what happens when your heart is open to the truth of the gospel. The Spirit and the Word have come. And you know what? The only response when the Spirit and the Word come, what should we do? What should I do? Somebody tell me what I should do. I'm confronted with the absolute reality of life and death. The absolute reality of the coming King. No debates. Did you catch it? No debates. No looking at your watch to see what time it is. No wonder when he's going to stop talking about the resurrection of the dead and that old coming king thing. No, none of that because they got it and they knew it was the treasure of greatest value. Peter had just given them the treasure of greatest value. They knew God had just offered them eternal life. God had just offered them the resurrection of the dead and a king in eternity. The treasure of greatest value. What should we do? Anybody see the urgency? Because I see the urgency. Peter didn't leave them hanging, and his response doesn't leave any of us hanging to get today either. His response was quite clear. His response was quite understandable. His response opens a way into eternal life and the resurrection of the dead into this kingdom of Christ. His response. What, what's the question? What do we do, Peter? Peter doesn't have to guess. The Holy Spirit has taken over Peter. Peter's going to tell you what you got to do. Here we go. Verse 38. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you have received forgiveness for your sins. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles. Somebody say hallelujah. Even to the Gentiles. Here we come. 
and all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Repent of your sins and turn to God. We don't have another message. This is it. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized. Receive the Holy Spirit. Believe and receive the promise of God. Yes, even you Gentiles are called. Ultimately, the call on that day was what? Save yourself. Do you, ultimately, the call of Peter, save yourself from this crooked and corrupt generation. So did they? Did they believe? Did they repent? Did they get baptized and did they receive the promises of God through the Holy Spirit? Verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. Woo! That's quite an invitation time. 3,000 in all. Those who believed... I'm reading to you the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. They are described as those who believe. Do you know what those who believe didn't do? Listen, I'm going to wrap it up. Listen. Do you know what those who believed didn't do? They didn't ask Peter, do I have to be baptized? Sometimes I want to scream. Do I have to be baptized? What happens if you die between your confession and your baptism? What, what happens? What about the thief on the cross? You know, nobody brought it up. Nobody brought it up. You know why? Because they knew that they had received the treasure of greatest value. And they weren't so spiritually arrogant that they would look at life and ask a stupid question. A stupid question. Nobody said, do we have to be baptized? They didn't say, do I have to repent? Do I have to repent? Nobody asked these questions. Do I have to turn to God? Can I, just, can I just keep my back to Him and keep walking and get the resurrection? Nobody asked any of this stuff. They didn't say, do I have to surrender my life to the power of the Holy Spirit? Why? Why are they not asking any of these questions that everybody wants to ask today? Why? Because their hearts were pierced with the truth of the gospel. Their hearts were pierced. It pierced them. They saw the present reality that without Christ you're going to die and your soul is going to go to the place of the dead and you will not recover. But there's a king anointing. And he promises a resurrection of the dead. And where you're going to get a new body and you get your soul put in a new body. Nah, I'm not interested in that. You know what the truth is? They didn't believe him. Their eyes were open to the urgency of the gospel. Their minds were open to see the holy scriptures revealed. There's a king and a kingdom that can come and reign in your heart right now. There is a king and a kingdom that can reign in your heart right now. You see, the present reality is the kingdom of Christ reigns in me right this minute. But his kingdom is coming to this earth one day.
He's reigning in me now. He's already king. I've already, you, many of you in the room, many of you in the room, he's already your king. But you're waiting for his kingdom to come upon this earth. One day that king and the kingdom, they're going to reign on this present earth on David's throne. Would you bow to this king? One day everybody's going to bow. Would you bow to him today? Those who believed, it doesn't say everyone believed, does it? It says, in Acts, it says those who believed were baptized. Those who believed did something. The true church is still doing it. Those who believed, they did something. They repented of their sins and they turned to God. There's not a person in this room who can't do that. That's not the question, is it? The question is, will you? Those who believed repented of their sins and they turned around and they faced God. They stopped making excuses. They stopped pretending like God doesn't know. They turned and they faced God and repented of their sins. They were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, believing that God would forgive them of their sins. They opened their hearts to the presence of God through the Holy Spirit by faith and the promises that come from the Word of God. They stepped out and they separated themselves from the crowd. They stepped out and they didn't really care what anybody around them was doing. They stepped out and said, I'm in. I'm in. Those who believed were saved that day and those who believed were added to the church that day. That's what the Bible says, added to the church. Do you know what that actually means? They were added to the body of Christ. This. That's what that means. You know, that means this. You used to be over here, now you're this. You've come together. Christ is in me, I am in Him, and because I am in Him, He is in me, we are in the Father. That's what it means to be added to the church that day. So what if you're not added to the church? You stand alone. And that king's coming. One last question. Where are they now? I always come to this question. Where are they now? Those 3,000 that joined the 120. Where are they now, today, right now? I believe with all my heart their souls are with the Lord in heaven and their bodies sleep on the earth. I also believe with all my heart that one day there's going to be a loud shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet blast and there's going to be a king. He's going to break into the clouds. And he's, going to, he's going to call those bodies out of the grave. He's going to call those bodies out of the grave. He's going to put those souls in new bodies. It's called the resurrection of the dead. The corpses of those 3,000 and those 120 are going to rise to meet the Lord in the air they're going to join their souls and the, that have returned because on that day the king in waiting will stop waiting. Can your minds grasp this gospel? I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. Can, can your mind grasp this message today? Can your mind grasp what I have just told you? Because what I have just told you today is the way of life. And if you withdraw from this way of life, you have chosen yourself death. You chose it. You chose death. So we're going to sing a song. And this song is a time of invitation. And the invitation is the same invitation. The gospel's been preached. The Holy Spirit's here. What should we do?
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and all who will believe. It's a promise. The invitation's open. We stand. Let the King.